Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. It's good. Lord is here. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. All right, does everyone have, or at least next to someone who has these scriptures? Yes? Make sure you have your Bibles as well. Um, what I want to get into, I'm going to jump right into this because I want to give time for ministry at the end. And I honestly, I feel it's just an extension of what is happening already, the freedom that the, that the Lord is releasing. But I am, uh, I'm excited about what I want to share on for today and then next Sunday because it's very unexpected. It wasn't something I was seeing uh, far in advance, wasn't planning, but the Lord just really dropped it in. And I want to speak about the compassion of the Lord. I want to speak on God's compassion and that Yahweh... Yahweh is a compassionate Father, uh, and that Jesus, His Son, is a compassionate God, and that the Holy Spirit is compassionate. God is a God of compassion. Uh, I was originally stirred, stirred by this in Nicaragua, and I'll go into that more uh, next, next week, um, but I want to I spend today and, and, uh, and then next Sunday uh, unpacking the, the compassion of, of God, and I want to just put before you that I really believe there's going to be a fresh encounter with the gospel today. <laughs> A fresh encounter with the gospel. I don't know about you, but sometimes what, what happens in my life is I, I think, I remember the time when, you know, I was, I was, I called out to the Lord and I was broken in my mess. I had nothing to stand on, no devotion life, no prayer life. I had nothing to cling to outside of his grace and his mercy and his goodness, his compassion. And what I find happen a lot in my own life and when I talk to people is that somehow along the way we begin to think that those things have faded God no longer extends and exerts the same mercy and grace and compassion. It's kind of like there's just a set amount and we're using it up. <laughs> and he's getting frustrated and bored and tired with us. And I want to make the case to you that he's the same. If anything, his feelings and thoughts and desires towards you as a child of God have intensified. Have intensified. His pleasure, his favor. For Romans 5 says, if while, it says when we were his enemies, he fought for us. <laughs> He said, while we were fighting against him, God justified us by putting his son on the cross. How much more, now that we are his children, will he keep us and preserve us? It's an incredible statement. So I want you to know the same mercy that touched you when you were maybe 20 years old and you fell on your knees and said, God, I want you to know that same compassion and that same mercy is being extended towards you today. And, uh, and I feel God's just going to renew our minds and get us really set and, and just rooted in the gospel. Yes? And the compassion of the Lord primarily. And I want to just put this before you. My, my desire today is not to embolden us into cycles of sin or anything like that. But I do want you to know that, that as we encounter his compassion, that grace transforms us. And I find so often that we don't actually turn wholeheartedly to God because we're not really sure what's in the heart of God for us. Especially when we're struggling in weakness and our failures. And I pray that you would be so moved and touched when you understand that God is a God of compassion. And he is forever He's forever uh, in that state towards you, as the scriptures show us. So may we rest in his finished work. So here's, uh, here's the framework for this week and next week. I want to use Luke 6.36, which says, Be compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate. Now, some translations put merciful, uh, but actually the word is used more often in the, in the New Testament. It's used as compassion. And it says, Jesus commanded us as his followers. He said, Be compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate. 
And that's going to set the stage for us. The ultimate goal is that we would be a community that operates in compassion, biblical compassion. But as we say often, if me and you are going to walk in anything that God calls us to walk in, the way you do that is not waking up and saying, I'm going to try as hard as I can to be a man of compassion. I promise you, you will fail miserably because it's only by his grace. The way that we grow in these things is we first have to receive these things from him. So we love because he first loved us. We forgive as we consider how he's forgiven us. And we are compassionate as we sit and meditate. We need long, loving meditation on the word of God and that God has been so tender and kind and compassionate to us. So what we're getting into, we can't learn this in a 45-minute sermon. We, we have to sit before God and really allow his compassion to touch our hearts. And what's going to begin to just swell inside of us is a divine, otherworldly compassion for the lost and for the sick. And that, that's ultimately my goal. Amen? So the goal is today I want us to receive his compassion. And then next week we're really going to talk about being agents and conduits of that compassion and releasing it. So those of you that are here today, it's a good thing. Those next week, they're really going to miss out. <laughs> You guys are ahead of the game. All right, let's take out this sheet, and we're going to uh, work through some of these scriptures. The compassion of the Lord. I really mean it when I, I so believe <laughs> so much freedom, uh, so much freedom is going to happen in our hearts. It may seem like a basic concept. In some ways it is, but I, I pray we would go to a depth today on what it means that God is compassionate. So this first scripture I'm going to share with you is in Exodus 34, but I need to, I need to really quickly share two very significant things to understand why this is such, why this is such an important key text. So I want you to just listen to this before we read it. This verse that I'm about to read in Exodus 34 is, is such a significant text, and there's two primary reasons why. Number one, God is about to define who he is for the first time in the scriptures. Never before has God openly spoken and said, this is who I am. And for the first time, God is going to speak and say, I want you to know who I am. That is very significant, guys. When you meet someone and, you, and they say, tell me about yourself, the first thing you say, you are trying your best to summarize, this is who I am. God is not only defining himself, which is significant, but it's the first time that he's going to say, this is who I am. And I, I don't know about you, but trying to describe the indescribable God is a very daunting task. But thankfully, God has not left us trying to guess. He's actually told us, at least in some part, who he is, even though he's infinite. And what I've found in my life, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is that oftentimes we build views of who God is from wrong sources. And it wreaks havoc on us. We build it from our culture. We build it from our own carnal thinking. We say, well, if this is how I would respond, then this is how probably God's responding to me. Uh, we, we do it based on our upbringing. Even if you've had the best of parents, we're still fallen and broken humans, and we associate, well, if that's how a person in parental role operates, then I guess God as a father and as even a compassionate mother talks to, about him. This is how he must be responding to me. We pick up wrong paradigms because of even the denominations that we're in. Every denomination at some point fails to perfectly define who God is. Denominations are always trying to bend God to perfectly meet their little theological box, but he transcends that. And so we can pick up these things. We need, we need the word of God to define for us who God is. And I think some of us may be just, 
We just need to get like, I need religion often broken off of me. <laughs> I, am a, I am a, and I think it's for a, we are recovering Pharisees. <laughs> we live in a world where that's how we operate. You get what you, you know, you get what you, you put in and things like that. But God is just so different and the gospel is so different. And so come with a fresh uh, set of eyes and faith. In fact, let's, let's pray for that. I just want to pray for that. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your grace this morning that every faulty paradigm, God, even as we open your word, the things that want to rise up to come against it, oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to be settled in the truth of who God is, that we would know him and we would know him rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's number one. That's the first thing that's just so significant. God is defining himself for the first time. Here's the second reason why this text is so significant. It's because of the context and what's happening. Now, we're about to read chapter 34 of Exodus, but you need to hear this. Two chapters prior is a very significant scene. It's, this is a very intense scene that we're jumping into. In Exodus 32, here's what's happened. God has taken the Israelites out of Egypt, and he's bringing them into the promised land. And along the way, they make a critical stop at Mount Sinai. And this is the best way to summarize Mount Sinai. God is proposing to Israel. He's establishing covenant with them. He's saying, I'm committing myself to you. I, I'm I, like a husband to a wife. That's how I'm committing myself, that I would be your God and you would be my people. And what is just incredible, but in a sad way, is as God is proposing to Israel, to, to Moses, they're, they're establishing the Ten Commandments, Israel is at the base of the mountain fashioning a golden calf, worshiping this statue, saying this is who has delivered us from Egypt. As God is proposing and saying, I want you, Israel is already saying we're going after another lover and committing spiritual adultery. The modern day application would be a man and a woman at the altar, looking each other in their eyes, expressing vows and love and commitment for one another. They sign the paperwork, and then as they go off the altar, down the aisle, one of the partners begins to text someone else. <laughs> That's what's happening here. And we need to understand, like, what is in the heart of God? How would God first speak about himself in the midst of such grievous idolatry? But here's what I want you to get, that although this scene may seem unique, this is one of the most incredible summaries of the picture of humanity. <laughs> this is the plight of humanity that each and every one of us were in. We have a God who wants to be in marriage covenant, but we have gone after other lovers. <laughs> we have set our heart and exalted other gods with a lowercase g. But if we would know that this is how God, this is what's in his heart, we would be so quick to respond to him rather than running from him. So let's see what he says. Exodus 34, God says, Moses, I'm going to now go. I'll send you to the promised land, but I will not go with you. Moses says, then we don't want to go. And then Moses asks to see the glory of God. And this is actually God passing before Moses. He can only see the backside. It's all imagery. Moses had a limited ability to behold the glory of God. But as God passes before Moses, here is the first time the Lord reveals who he is. Verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses, Yahweh, proclaiming. Here's what he says. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. <laughs> the first time God defines himself 
as he says, I am Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate and gracious God. Can you, can you capture just like the gravity of this? Israel is worshiping another God. What is God going to say? And he says, here's what I want you to know. I am Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It would do us really well to know all five of these attributes that are just said, but we're going to focus on the first thing. The first thing God wants us to know about himself is that he is a compassionate God. And it would be wise of us to understand what it means biblically that God is a God of compassion, yes? So I want us to look at this. We're going to teach a little bit. I just trust the scriptures are going to break off lies. And then we're going to pray this morning that you would receive God's compassion. And it would forever change you. So there's two ways, there's two things that are coming out about biblical compassion. When God says, I am Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate God, biblical compassion has two primary parts to it. On one side, it means an emotion, a deep emotion. On the other hand, biblical compassion speaks of action. In fact, the two are profoundly connected. It is because God is so deeply stirred and moved and is so emotionally bonded to us as his people and as his children he is stirred to take action when, we, when he finds us, even in our weakness, guys, even in our frailty, even when we find ourselves in struggling positions by our own rebellious choices, God says in his heart, there is compassion that wants to reach out. Your weaknesses actually do not put God off. They actually draw on his compassionate heart. He doesn't look at us and say, man, you are frail and weak. I am so frustrated by you. He actually is saying, because I am compassionate, it is that very thing that you are weak that provokes something in my heart to want to step in and deliver you and save you. It's a phenomenal thing that, that what he says here. So the first thing, the first thing about biblical compassion is that it's in a deep, it's emotion. God is emotionally connected to us. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> He's not some dead, like stoic being. He says, how and what you go through really matters to me. It really moves me. I see your life and it really stirs my heart. In fact, oftentimes the Hebrew word for compassion, we translate it in the English as deeply stirred, deeply moved. When God sees the plight of humanity, our sufferings, our hardship, our trials, our weakness, our frailty, our vulnerability, God says it stirs up a deep emotion. I feel for you. <laughs> In fact, one of the clearest expressions of this is, just so you can kind of see this, is in 1 Kings chapter 3. You don't need to turn there. It's a really unique story. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of the story of King Solomon and two women fighting over a child? <laughs> okay, so listen, I want you to see this is, this is so beautiful, God's compassion. Solomon had the wisdom of God on him. He asked that he would have wisdom to lead the people well. And thank God he had that because there was a situation that was presented to him. And here's the situation. It says that there were two women, each had children. I think they were three days apart. They were newborns. But when they went to bed, one of the women actually rolled on her child and killed her child. And what she did is when she looked at the other bed with the woman, she actually went over there and they uh, switched the children out. So she had the living child and put her dead child next to the other woman. Well, when the woman uh, woke up and saw that her child was dead, she looked and said, this is not my child. <laughs> and she saw that her child was with the other lady. So both are fighting, saying, this is my child, this is my child. And so they go before King Solomon, and they're both claiming, this is my, this is my child. And, and 
Solomon's saying, who do, who do I believe? Both are saying this is theirs. Solomon says, in the wisdom of God, he says, I have a plan. He says, someone bring me a sword. And he says, here's what I will do. I will cut the baby in half, and you can each have a half of the child. And the mother, or the woman who is not the mother, said, good, then none of us will have him. But the one who was the true mother said, no, my Lord, my king. It says she was deeply stirred in her heart, the same Hebrew word for compassion. And she said, I'd rather give up my son than see him die. The picture is she was so committed to the well-being of her child that she'd rather lose him than see him die. She revealed that she was the true parent by the compassion she had for the well-being of her child. This is the compassion of God. In fact, there's an incredible gospel message that comes forth. For God was willing to give up his son so that we would live. God says, I'm deeply stirred like a parent is for their child. How many parents are in this room? Would you not do anything for the well-being of your child? God says, this is how I feel about you. In fact, I want to take this even further. This is what I think is so fascinating. The word in the Hebrew for compassion is almost identical to the word for womb. The root word, everything is, it's almost, if I were to say it, it almost sounds identical, minus a little word, a little letter. It's not, it's not a coincidence. It's actually deeply godly ordained. The idea for the Jews was that when they would hear this word of God being compassionate, it would provoke uh, imagery of a, a mother carrying a child in her womb. It would provoke this picture of God having compassion like a mother has compassion on a vulnerable infant. God says, I see you the way a mother sees her child. I'm looking at Alex right now. <laughs> Do you see how Alex is holding her infant? That is the imagery when it says God is compassionate. God, God, God says, I see you like a mother would hold her child, which means God is not just taking care of us because it's his responsibility. He is deeply emotionally bonded to us as his children, as we are his children. So look at this verse. This is fascinating to see this. This is, I want to read Isaiah 49, and here's what's happening. Israel is in, um, Israel is actually in captivity when Isaiah begins to prophesy this. And they are in a time of oppression. They are, um, they're suffering and they're actually scattered. And God promises that he will comfort them. But he also anticipates that Israel's response will be, no, you have forsaken us and left us. And so in the midst of God speaking through Isaiah, Isaiah 49, 15 is God prophesying about him responding to Israel saying, you will have forsaken us, God, you will not be with us. Here's how God equates himself. Isaiah 49, verse 15, he says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? He's saying, can a, wo can a woman forget the one that she has nursed? <laughs> and his answer is, of course not. Would a woman ever forget the very child that she nursed? God is saying, of course not. But he says, even if she may do that, he says, even if she may forget, I will not forget you. <laughs> do you hear the connection? He says, as a mother nursed her child, would she not have compassion on the son of her womb? He says, I am like a mother who has nursed you. Will I forget you? I have the same compassion for you in that way. This is such an intimate, vulnerable image that God is giving us. I want you to, for a moment, just imagine a mother who begins to nurse her child. 
imagine how she has to hold the child. He can't even come near to her unless he holds her. She holds her. She, she holds the child. She then looks upon the child with loving eyes, and then the child begins to receive life from her body. God says, this is the way that I care for you. In fact, I want you to hear this. Do you ever notice in the scriptures how when Israel cries out to God, God always responds? <laughs> Every time Israel cries out, God responds. Why? Because it's playing on the image that God is like a mother. And when he hears the cry of his child, compassion begins to bubble up inside of his heart. Do you, have you ever seen a, a, a mother when her child begins to cry? <laughs> I have watched my wife uh, in this. We can put on a movie. Maybe Aaron's crying in the back room, and I can say, hey, just, he'll be done in about five minutes. Don't worry, we'll keep watching the movie. Not a mother. When she hears the cry of her child, it does something to her. She can't stay silent. She can't go on as business as usual. She has to respond. There's something wired in her that when she hears that cry, she must tend to the cry of her child. God says, this is how I feel and see you when you cry out to me. I have watched my wife, and I know many other women here who have a child, I have watched her willfully embrace personal sacrifice just to tend to the cry of our children. I have watched her endure sleepless nights. I have watched her forsake meals when we come around the table because the child is crying. <laughs> this is the compassion of God. God says in the highest form, God has willfully embraced personal sacrifice by laying down the life of his son just to tend to the cry of humanity. To tend to the cry of those who are bound in sin and darkness. God says, I cannot sit still. Do you understand, no matter where you find yourself today, if you cry out to God in vulnerability and sincerity, do you understand? He says, I'm like a mother. I can't ignore you. Do you know that he actually said, this is crazy, I don't even have this down. In Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he told the prophets to stop praying and interceding and crying out because if you do, I'll show compassion and he was actually about to bring judgment. That will blow your mind and that will lead to a whole lot of conversation there. But God says, I'm so compassionate that if they cry out to me, I'm going to have to respond to them. What would that do for intercession life? To say, God, we want to intercede and draw, like pull on the compassion of God. Wherever you are today, guys, no matter what's happening in your life, it's not a license to stay there, but so often we come back with like feeble prayers, like we're like, oh God, if you'll take me back, come with faith and confidence. Says, I'm like a mother to you. And if you lift up a cry, it does, it arouses my compassion, it activates it, and I will respond to you. No matter what you were going on, no matter what's going on in your life. So number one is that it carries an idea of intense, intense emotion. The second idea of God's compassion is that it has action. This is so beautiful. God is, um, he doesn't just really feel bad for us. It's not like he just says, wow, I'm so emotionally bonded and invested. But then as he sees us, he just keeps walking by. He has to take action. His, his biblical compassion means that God responds to his people. And there are two primary ways we see the compassion of God manifest itself in action. Number one, is you'll see a theme of God's compassion leading to forgiveness. And number two, you'll see God's compassion leads to deliverance. And as we'll see next week, when we look at the life of Jesus more, Jesus is the climactic and ultimate expression of God's compassion. For in Jesus, Jesus was the embodiment of the Father's compassion. He was compassion made flesh. 
and he walked among us. This is why, as we'll see next week, Jesus so often, it says he was moved with compassion, and then he would go heal the sick. He would pray for those bound by demons, those who had no food. It was the compassion that was moving Jesus to take action. But at the cross is where we see it come into its climax. For at the cross, Jesus didn't just say, I feel bad for you. He actually steps into our suffering. He becomes everything that we are, takes on our suffering, and then through that, he opens the door for forgiveness and for deliverance. The compassion of God expressed through the broken body of Jesus. So let's look at these two things for the action. Forgiveness. Forgiveness implies moral failure. Something we're all pretty good at. (laughs) Something we've all experienced. But again, if we know that God's heart is compassion, we will turn towards him. I want you to look at another verse on here, Psalm 51. How many of you have ever read Psalm 51? We've preached through this before. Hear, hear me on what the background is. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David. David has, this is the episode of David committing sin with Bathsheba. He's committed adultery. He's literally carried out the plans to see this husband murdered, uh, one of his best soldiers, Uriah. And he's actually led to the slaughter of his own men because he did it through a military conflict. He actually purposely put them in in a dangerous place so that Uriah as well as others would die. So you're talking about not just a small hiccup. This man is like steep in grievous sin. And I want you to see what David does in Psalm 51 verse 1. Here's the cry of David. He says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithfulness, according to the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my wrongdoings. (laughs) Isn't this incredible? David, in the midst of a sign, when you would say David's done, David comes before the Lord and says, God, be gracious to me, according to your faithfulness and according to your great compassion. Do you notice something interesting? David quotes three words that we just read in Exodus 34 when God first defined himself. He says, gracious, compassionate, and faithful. Hmm, I wonder if David has studied the word of God. (laughs) Of course he did. David loved the word of God. He meditated on the word of God. My friends, David was trained by the word of God. And he was so trained by the word of God to know the nature of God. And this is the fruit of it. That when David found himself in compromise, David knew who God was because he had trained himself in who God is through the word. Therefore, when David found himself in a place of utter failure, he did not say it's over. He did not run from God. But he actually in confidence turned to the Lord saying, God, I know who you are. David actually calls on the compassion of God. Notice he doesn't say, uh, God, like I've been pretty good before this situation. That's how a lot of times we approach God. We're trying to make deals in our mind about in the natural, well, I've done this, but I've been pretty good here, so he should be able to respond to me. Or David's not saying, wow, I really screwed up. At least, God, don't let me get stoned to death. Um, No, David says, I'm going to approach you on the basis of your infinite, majestic character and nature. God, would you respond to my situation, not on what's going on in the natural, but according to your great compassion? He knew that if if he would touch the heart of God in that way, that God's compassion is greater than every weakness, every failure. Listen, I'm not just talking about open like, uh, like sin and stuff. Even when you, you're trying to navigate steps in your life, God is compassionate. He's waiting for you to call out to him. He's not saying, wait, you didn't get this by now. Like God, God invites us to come and, and he responds with 
man, his heart like is, is just for us. So number one is forgiveness. And here's the second thing in terms of action is deliverance and rescue. Let's look at Nehemiah. Now this is also an amazing scene. The Israelites have come out of Babylonian or Persian captivity. And it's, uh, uh, it's about 430 BC when he is prophesying this. Israel is really trying to make sense of what just happened. Is God still going to be with us? And um, what's amazing is Nehemiah is basically tracking Israel's history with God. Specifically, when they got to the promised land, how they kept drifting from the Lord. They kept turning from God. And eventually, Nehemiah, as he's tracking their history, he gets to the period known as Judges. And Judges is one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. If you've ever read it, they were forever turning to whatever direction they wanted to go rather than following God. Over and over, they would turn from the Lord. They would do evil, it says, in the eyes of God. And here you're going to see how God was responding to Israel, even in this season of their life. Look at Nehemiah verse nine, uh, chapter 9. He just gets done saying how they blasphemed, they killed the prophets. And then Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 27, 28. It says, so you delivered them, God, you delivered Israel into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. Oh, listen very carefully. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. <laughs> there it is again. The cry of Israel came out. How did God respond? And from heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion, your motherly compassion, when you heard your child crying, you gave them deliverers. You responded to come and deliver them. Wait a minute, Andrew. They were in, they were in oppression because of their own immorality and sin. This will crush the religion in all of us, even through their own wrong choices. God says, when you cried out to me, you aroused my compassion. And I'll say it again. It's not to embolden us to repeat those cycles, but if we don't come wholeheartedly before him, we get stuck in shame. It's actually as we know it's in his heart that we can, like David, repent with a full open heart. And that's where his, shame, his grace and love touches our shame and we get transformed by it. The seasons of my life where I've been stuck is I didn't understand God's heart. I didn't know what he was carrying for me in the moments where I was struggling. And so I may have come back to him, but it was kind of like, Lord, I just gave him a piece of me. Maybe if I have a good week of devotions, I can like start to pray again. And I'm all for abiding in God. We preach on that. But that's not what God has saved us. I didn't have a devotion life when he saved me. I had nothing. And it's his compassion that's exploding over Israel as they cry out. But it gets even more intense. Listen to this. Verse 28. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was, what was evil in your sight. <laughs> God shows compassion. They get a deliverer because God's compassion has action. It delivers. And as soon as they begin to rest again, all humanity goes right back to what we did before. Oh, but we're so different. <laughs> Not always. And look what it says. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemy so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, <laughs> you said, no, not again. Nope, that's not what it says. And when they cried out to you again, you heard them from heaven, and in your compassion, you delivered them. Time after time after time after time. <laughs> time after time, God says, every time you cried out, like a mother, like a mother who runs to a child, God says, I run to you. His compassion is opened up right now. <laughs> 
for all to turn and cry out to him. This is what God is carrying in his heart for you. One of the most important things we need to know is who God is and how he views us in general, but especially in our weakness and in our frailty. It's so important. As I've said over, we need to know what God's carrying in our heart in those moments, like Israel, like David. You need to know what's in God's heart or you will never, you will never open back up to God if you don't know that he's actually waiting to be gracious and compassionate to you. God's, your weakness, as I said before, I want this to be so clear, and we're going to look at another scripture to see this, but your weakness is not putting God off. It actually draws on his compassionate nature. Do you know that it's your weakness and frailty that activates this? Romans 5, 6 says, for at the right time, when we were still weak, powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That means when God looked at us in weakness, we were powerless to get out of the bondage of sin. God did not get frustrated. God did not get filled with resentment. God did not say what's wrong with you. But actually when he viewed us and saw us in weakness, his compassion began to bubble up that he began to respond by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come and forgive and deliver us. I want you to look at Psalm 103. This is another one of these incredible scriptures how many know Psalm 103? You, you should if you don't know it. Psalm 103 begins with David saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. So, so David is about to, for the rest of the psalm, rattle off the benefits of God, the benefits of the gospel. And he says how he's, uh, um, he's forgiven us for all of our iniquity. He's healed us from all our diseases. He rescued us from the pit. And we're going to pick it up right here in verse 10. It's on the sheet. He's listing the benefits of knowing God. And he says this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And you ready? Here is like the key scripture. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. <laughs> what he's saying, let me put it this way. God says, I, I, I'll, I forgive you of all your iniquity. I heal you of all your diseases. I rescue you from the pit. I remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'm compassionate like a father. And I hear these things and I say, yes, true, true, true. Until God begins to lock in and look at my life and really get deep into what's going on in my life. And once he does that, all of these things just disintegrate and blow up. For he sees me for who I really am. But that's not what verse 14 is saying. It's actually saying that it's because he knows our frame. It's because he knows we're from dust. It's because he knows our weakness. It's because he knows we are our propensity to repeat the same things over and over, that he says, my heart is moved by your weakness to not be able to do for yourself what I want to do. Therefore, because of these things, it brings me joy to come into your life and do them for you. I don't know about you, that's a glorious promise. <laughs> you, listen, maturity, maturity. I used to think maturity is how well I can hide my weaknesses. How well I can overcome my weakness in my own strength. You want to know how you're growing in the Lord? How quickly do you bear your weaknesses before him? 
How how quickly do you bring your weaknesses before him? Knowing that doesn't turn him off, but it actually draws on him to show compassion in your life. And then his perfection begins changing your imperfections. God doesn't say, make yourself worthy, then come to me. But it's actually as we bring our imperfections that his perfection starts changing us and transforming us. You know, look at Exodus 34 along these lines. Uh, By the way, Caesar was ministering deeply on a number of these things, so I appreciate him sharing these things during this week. Uh, It's really just doing something in my heart. I like, I feel such a confidence to continually just turn to God no matter what I'm going through. I was struggling with that recently. I really was. I was just, just some things I was fighting with and I felt like I just couldn't turn. And now I'm like, I just see this God who's like waiting with compassion for me to lift up a cry to him. And I was just trying to like overcome these things in my own strength. But here's what's amazing. He says, I'm Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. And then he says, I'm slow to anger. So check this out. Uh, Caesar and I have been really stirred by this pastor, uh, Dr. Ortland. He wrote a book called um, Gentle and Lowly. And, uh, and Caesar was talking to me about how he listened to a message recently where Dr. Ortland was talking about the anger of God and how when, when the scriptures talk about God's anger, 42 times it always brings another word with God's anger. And the word is this, provoked. God always has to be provoked to anger. Now, first of all, to be clear, his anger is glorious, beautiful, it's righteous. His anger is aroused when he fights for us. When that which he loves the most is threatened by sin, God's righteous anger is aroused. So to be clear, his anger is glorious. But even to get to that point, he always has to be provoked which means his natural disposition, disposition his, uh, his natural state is one of compassion. Anger has to be provoked out of him. He's slow to anger. But if you were to say, God, what is your natural state? What is like your default setting? God says, it's compassion. <laughs> it actually is time. It takes time for God to be provoked into his righteous anger. But right now, I believe there's a God that waits with compassion for us. All right, one last text, and then we'll close here. This one, you got to come in the scriptures. Come with me to Isaiah 55. We're going to close here. Is this helping anyone? Uh, yes, Isaiah 55. We're going we're gonna to close out here, and then uh, we're going to take communion today. We're going we're gonna, to... We're gonna, allow the, the blood and body of Jesus, allow his compassion to touch us, and then we're going we're gonna to have time for ministry for those who want to stay, that you would receive the compassion of the Father today. Isaiah 55. Now, you have to hear this. This is so beautiful. Just, just hear the, the, the progression here. Isaiah 49, I read before. Isaiah 49, I read before, where God says, in the midst of Israel in captivity and oppression being scattered, he says, I will not forget you because I am a mother with compassion. You guys remember I just read that, right? So then the question becomes, God, how will you actually express this motherly-like compassion for your, chi- for your child? Well, that's expressed in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant. So how will God not forget his people? How will God express this motherly, tenderly compassion? Ultimately, it will be through sending his son to be a suffering servant. The Holy One, the Righteous One, the One without spot or blemish will come in, step into our suffering, and He will be bruised, pierced, crushed, rejected, despised, taking on everything we deserve so that we could receive the compassion of God. 
Why am I saying that? Because Isaiah 55 is now about the fruit of God's compassion that was expressed by him sending his son to die for us. Here's what's been opened up by the suffering servant. Are you with me? Look at, at, look at the subtitle of Isaiah 55. Now, this isn't inspired by God, but still, man has put this in, and it's a great summary. Isaiah 55 is summarized as the compassion of the Lord. This whole chapter is about now what's been opened up because of the suffering servant. And I want to pick it up in verse 6. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. How can we seek him now? How can he be found? Because the motherly compassion of the Father was openly expressed in its greatest way through his son coming to die for us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. We are living in Isaiah 55 days. Call upon him. Cry out to him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. (laughs) Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Now, here's one of my favorite verses with this. You ready? Listen to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. Declares the Lord. Verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, how many have heard verse 8 and 9 before? Now, how many of us love it? We quote this, we put this on mugs, we put this on our shirts, and rightfully so. But most of the time when we quote it, we're saying it in a way where we're saying, in general, when God calls you and has like a purpose, when you begin to go after that, the way God will achieve his purposes in your life, it'll never be how you expect it. Now, to be clear, that is abundantly true. That's biblical. We see the pattern. But that's not what's really happening here. That's not what God's saying. When he says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, he's talking about salvation. He's he's saying, saying, my compassion that was expressed by me giving my son to open up the door of forgiveness and deliverance, he says, I'm not like you. For if man was in my shoes, you would not do it this way. Thank God me and you are not God. (laughs) Because if we were in God's shoes, here's what I would do. You've wronged me, and you've wronged me a few times. I'm done with you. But God says, oh, don't you know I'm not like you? My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. I don't have the ways of man. Oh, we may show compassion, but so often our compassion is it's limited. It's exclusive. Oh, I'll be ready to show compassion to my family, uh, to my friends. But who is God showing compassion to? He says, let the wicked, let the unrighteous come to me. Oh, we'll show compassion to a, to a friend and a family member, but would we show it to our enemy? No, I'll say, God, I won't do that. In fact, if you want me to be really honest, what I find sometimes when those who I don't like that much start to stumble, I see something being to bumble, bubble up inside that almost finds a measure of satisfaction over their stumbling. And I've got to say, God, kill this thing in me. For be compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate. God opens up to his enemies, those who's warred against him. And God says, my heart is there. Do you know how much church hurt and division comes because we wrong one another and say, that's it, I'm done with you? Oh, if we would sit with long, loving meditation before the word and say, God, fill my heart with your compassion. For your ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are from the earth, God's so different the way you respond and act to us. 
I get frustrated by people's weaknesses. I get frustrated by promises not kept. I get frustrated in my own life at how I don't keep the promises often that I make. And yet God is not like that. <laughs> how many times did Israel say, we won't do it, we won't do it, we won't do it. And God's still there. Listen, some of you have made a lot of promises to God. I just want you to know, like, he's, today is the day to call upon the name of the Lord. Today is the day to turn to him with full heart and receive his compassion. You'll be forever changed. Someone turns from me, I'm quick to write them off. But the Lord here says, he says, return to me, which means he never turns from us. We may turn in all different directions from God, but do you know that God is perpetually turned towards us? God is always like this. He wasn't just turned towards you when you were 15 years old and gave your heart to him at youth group camp. <laughs> he was there, but he's still just as compassionate today. I need the gospel just as much today as I did the first day I recognized I needed a savior. I am just as leaning and depending on the compassion and mercy of God more than ever. In fact, Paul only grew in greater awareness of how broken he really was. Maturity in the kingdom of God is not like maturity in the world. The world, when you mature, you get more and more independent, and that's a good thing, but not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, you're getting more and more dependent on him. He's saying, cling to me, cling to me. David said in Psalm 16, preserve me, O God. This is a different cry than just save me. He's saying, God, keep me. Daily, you've got to keep me, God. Daily, God, I have to cling to your compassion. My response to someone who wants compassion in my life is often predicated on the mood that I'm in that day. <laughs> Did I have a good nap? <laughs> Did I eat a good meal? And maybe if you catch me on a good day, I'll be more inclined to do the favor that you're asking. But God says, my ways are not your ways. You never find me in a bad mood. You don't need to worry about if the God you're about to come to right now is different than he was yesterday. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Jesus, that your ways are higher, that your thoughts are higher than us. Actually, look at, look at how this chapter begins in verse 1. This is all rooted in the compassion. This is how God is so far different. Look how he starts off. And I feel this is the call that we're about to have right now as we just begin to have ministry time. The Lord says, because he's shown the ultimate compassion in his son dying for us, he says, come, come. Do you understand? There's an invitation today to come to the Lord with whatever you're holding on to. Come, everyone who thirsts. Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty today? God says, come. Religion would say, no, 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 hold on. Let's see what's happening. God says, come, come to me. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. <laughs> come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Thank God his ways are not our ways. Because milk and wine are things that have a price attached to it. And our ways would say, pay the price, then you could come. But God says, no, you come because I paid a price for you. You can come partake. Wine and milk are often associated with the promises of God. A land flowing of milk and honey, wine of the Spirit. He's saying you can partake of the promises of the Messiah now because I've paid a price. Come and buy without money. How do you buy then? By coming. You coming is how you buy. It's by you recognizing the need. Jesus says, come to me. The only thing we need to bring is the need that we have because we're thirsty. That's how you buy. When Jesus says, come to me, he is giving the He's giving the prescription for all of mankind's needs. It's not a good religious idea. He says, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. If you're tired, come to me. 
If you're hungry, come to me. If you're lonely, come to me. If you're broken, come to me. It's an invitation from Jesus to come to him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I'm going to ask if the ushers could actually go around and simultaneously as they're getting ready, if you could uh, actually pass out the communion, please. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. When we practice open communion here, which means we don't have any particular classes, we just ask that if Jesus, uh, Jesus be your Lord and Savior. And listen, if that's not the case, right now, you don't even need to wait for someone to pray over you. You say, God, I come to you this morning. I recognize my need. I recognize, God, that I, I need a Savior. Lord, I repent and I turn towards you. And you actually receive, receive his body for the first time his blood for the first time. It washes and cleanses. Just hold on to the elements. We're going to partake together in just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, as they're still passing out, I, I actually, the Lord reminded me of something in our Bible study recently for Ephesians, and I, I'm just reminded again. How many know when Peter, Peter denied Jesus three times? I mean, talk about just the brokenness. Shortly before that, Peter said, uh, even if everyone falls away, I will not. And I don't believe Peter was actually trying to be proud or arrogant. I believe Peter genuinely loved the Lord and said, God, I'm with you. I'm with you to the end. And really felt that. But in the end, Peter realized without the Spirit, without the Spirit, he didn't have the strength. Uh, discipline only gets us so far. And he would fail as well. But in the Gospel of Luke, it says something so incredible that God had to speak to me at one of my lowest moments, leading this church, and I just felt like I was really just broken and in the Gospel of Luke, it says that after he denied him the third time, in the Gospel of Luke, it says, and Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at him. It's the only account that says this. And then it says, Peter left weeping bitterly. And I think early on in my walk, I viewed that as God looked at him and said, I told you. I told you who you are. I knew you would do that. I want you to know that I, that I see how you've disappointed me. And yet, in my own kind of Peter-like moment, I felt what the Lord was showing me is that the Lord wanted Peter to know, I see you right there. I see you in your weakest state. I see you even after you've denied me. And yet, I still choose the cross for you, Peter. Peter, I didn't choose you because you would not deny me and others would. I didn't choose you because you were stronger. I chose you because I love you. And I want you to know, because if you don't know this, Peter, you'll think your foundation is you and me together. But you need to know your only foundation is my finished work for you. And Peter, you need to know that I'm seeing you in your lowest moment when you have nothing to stand on. And I need you to know that even though you wouldn't die for me, I will die for you still. 
And I believe it's there where Peter began to weep bitterly because for the first time, he was really encountering the gospel and what it means to rest in the finished work of Christ. So we're going to let the Lord look at us right now. What do I mean? He sees us, but we're going to come into agreement with that he sees everything and that he has compassion in our heart, in his heart for us. So if you can just take out the bread, the wafer, <laughs> the cracker. <laughs> and Luke 6:36 again says, "Be compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate." Ephesians 4:32 says, "Be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another as Christ, or as God forgave us in Christ. Be kind and compassionate to one another." So Father, we, we desire to receive in a fresh way your compassion. And I ask, God, that for every single one of us, that as we partake of the body and blood of your Son, I just pray, God, that you would just begin to shift things that have been lying dormant in our hearts and minds, wrong perspectives. Lord, I pray for those who have not allowed themselves to be come before you bare and as a result they've actually been stuck in the same things I pray God by faith that when we consume the bread and the wine today God that our eyes would be open our eyes would be open to Yahweh Yahweh compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness so, Lord, we don't come before this table in religion. We come in faith. That your body and your blood, it's still alive, God. It's still doing its work. I thank you, God, that there's fresh encounters with the gospel right now. And I pray in, an own, in your own personal way, Lord, that you would minister and set people free. So we take your bread, your body. I thank you, God, that you were broken for us, that we could receive the compassion and that we could receive forgiveness and deliverance in Jesus' name, let's partake. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And let's take the juice, the wine, represents his blood, but the wine is the promise of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you say, come, come without money. Come without money. Come and buy without price wine and milk. Lord, we come to this table with one thing. We recognize our need. We recognize our need. And I pray, Lord, that as we partake in your blood, Lord, I pray that you would even begin to fill people with the wine of your spirit. You'd fill them with joy. You'd fill every longing, every, every crack and crevice, every desire. They would find it in you. I pray, Lord, for the wine of heaven to be released here. The wine of heaven. Lord, as we partake, I pray once again, your compassion would explode over people's lives. God, that they would experience in fresh ways your forgiveness and your deliverance. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 